Um, we're running a little bit behind, so I'm not gonna ask these individuals to come up. But I do wanna let the church know, yesterday at our annual business meeting, we had a vote to elect new deacons and a new elder. And so I think the media guys have a picture of that that maybe we could put up so you can see those who have been elected to the church leadership council in the roles of deacon and elder. Am I just making that up? Do we have that? I assume, there it is. So that is our new deacons. Jonathan Aliota, Nilsa LaSalle, Damian Reyes, who has been elected for a second term, and then Mark Santos, who, I oh, he just got in there. I was shocked, but that one, that one worked too. And so those are our new deacons. We are so grateful. These are the men and women, and, or in addition to the rest, the rest of the leadership council, that gather together and make decisions for this church and prayerfully consider what God is calling us to do. And so these are people that you can go to. You know, we're not a church built on one man. And so if, if you need anything, these are individuals that you can go to. We encourage you to do so. And if anything needs to get run up the ladder, they know to do that. And then because we don't have, oh, there he is, Javier Massinet, who served two consecutive terms, eight years on the board, has been elected as an elder, which means he can continue to serve our church and... We are very, very grateful for Javi Massinet. Listen, I ain't gonna lie. Me and Javi went to high school together. We had Spanish together. I did not think he'd be an elder and he did not think I'd be a pastor. But look at us now, suckers. <laughs> I'm getting fired. All right. I wanna, <laughs> who did he meant that? <laughs> it be your own, it be your own. <laughs> Listen, we are, we are so grateful for everything that God is doing. Again, thank you, by the way, for coming to the Speed the Light Market and BGMC Market because of your generosity and the sacrifice of our children and our teenagers and our families. They were able to raise just under $6,000 for Speed the Light and BGMC. So that's, that's just under 6,000 on our goal cumulative between both ministries of $35,000. $10,000 for our children, $25,000 for our, young, our teenagers. And so, man, we just love that this is a church that uh, believes in the next generation and puts literally our money where our mouth is. But uh, I wanna jump in right away into uh, this series that we've been in. A couple of weeks ago, we began this series that I've titled All In. And it's about the Great Commission. And if you look at the scriptures of uh, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, these are essentially Jesus' last words and his last commands while he was in the flesh on earth. This, this is his final marching orders. And I want to encourage you to understand this was not simply to the disciples, but all that would come after them. And this idea of the Great Commission, it's a co-mission. It's a mission that we have collectively. So it is not the mission of Pastor Joey. It is not the mission of the elder and the deacons. It is the mission of all believers in all places to accomplish what God is calling us to do. And in this portion of scripture, the reason I've titled this All In is because there's four times where Jesus says the word all that I really want to be able to focus in on. The first week, we talked about all authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, and now he is giving you authority to go and do the mission that he has called us to do. And so I want to jump into that scripture again because I want to focus in on the next couple of alls. If you look at it, Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, 
go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, last week, we had Eric Hoffman come out and talk about the importance of missions. Last, uh, yesterday, you saw through our BGMC and Speed the Light offering, we were covering all the nations. There was Brazilian food and Argentinian food, Filipino food, German stuff. Like, we had the whole shebang. And I ain't even gonna lie, I skipped lunch because I ate so much in that market. They, they got a couple hundred dollars out of me, but I was like, it's for missions, it's for missions, as I kept eating more of it. Um, which it, eating is, is so much easier when it's for missions, guys. Trust me, you can eat all you want. There are no calories when it's for missions. And so what does the scripture say, right? Last week we talked about all nations. The week before we talked about um, all authority. And he says, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I wanna focus in on this idea of all the commands I have given you. Now, there's over 600 commands in the Old Testament and several hundred commands in the New Testament, and I'm not about to go through each and every single command. And as I was prayerfully considering the direction we were going in in this particular message, I, I really was brought back to this scripture that we just read. Well, what's the command that he's currently giving us in the Great Commission? What does that look like? Before I think about all the other commands I need to teach you, what's the command that the Lord is trying to teach his people in this moment? So I wanna look at this command and I want you to focus in by the authority that God has given us. He has commanded us to follow this command. And the first one is this, we are commanded to go. It says, go into all the world, go into all the nations and make disciples. This uh, scripture here and this verse and particularly this word, if you've ever been to any kind of missions convention or, or sat through any of our missions, stuff, this is a very popular word and piece of scripture to encourage the support and the call of missions on people's lives, right? We talked about it last week, to go into all the nations. We talked about the literal billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus, but I think it, sometimes what we do is we forget that all the nations includes the nation you live in. So all the nations isn't just the nations that are far off across the ocean or across the border. The nations include your nation, include where you're at, okay? We forget that God has called you and I to go into this nation to reach the people here, at your jobs, at your schools, in your neighborhoods, across the street, that we are called to this nation. As a matter of fact, one of the things I love about Chicago, and I've been with Heart Song the last couple of days, and we've been sending them out on some stuff, and I don't know if you guys have figured it out, I really like Chicago. But, but here's the idea, I, I consider myself the ambassador of Chicago, but I wanna make sure you understand something. You don't ever have to leave the city to reach all the nations. Chicago is an international city. Okay, you can go to Chinatown, Greektown, Little Saigon, Ukrainian Village, Pilsen, Humble Park, Little India. We can literally go to any nation and never leave this city. And by the way, you can eat anywhere you want around the world and never leave this city. So it's important to understand strategically where God has placed Beaumont and where God has placed you and I. This is a very strategic place. This is important and vital to the mission around the world because you might reach somebody that goes back to their native country and reaches somebody else. I mentioned this not too long ago, Belmont's history, we're over 100 years old and in this inception, it was an Italian church and it was all in Italian. For the, at least the first 50 years, it was all in Italian. And I had a young man who was getting his credentials in Italy who follows me on social media, you know, periodically says things and compliments things. And he messaged me in, in my DMs and he sent me a screenshot of his curriculum that he's taking for his credentialings as an AG minister. 
And the screenshot was of the history of Belmont. And I'm like, snap, okay, that's pretty cool. You got the history. And it literally, all the pastors up to Pastor Carlos, I did remind him that his stuff's out of date. He needs to update it a little bit. Um, but, but it had the history. Why? Because someone came out of Belmont, an Italian, and started the Assemblies of God in Italy. Like, so, so it transfers over, it moves across. You'll never understand the ripple effect that'll happen when you are willing to go into this nation, into your community, into your neighborhood, and do what God has called you to do. Okay, the problem is we go to work, to school, to eat, to play, but we fail to go to people with the very thing they need. And it has to start where God, where God has you. Listen, Acts chapter one, very famous scripture when it comes to this. Verse four through eight. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus and kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? He replied, the father alone has authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. But where does he start? In Jerusalem. Where were they? In Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we include everything. But they were in Jerusalem and they were called to start where they were. Listen, again, I love the generosity of this church. I love that we support 60 plus missionaries. It is always gonna be important to us. But what good is it if we focus over there and we forget over here? What good is it if we're reaching the rest of the world and we're sacrificing our own family? They were all in Jerusalem. Jesus told them that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower them and give them authority to be witnesses to, for God, to people everywhere, beginning in Jerusalem. Listen, maybe God's not asking you to go across the ocean, but he is asking you to go across the street, to go across the lunchroom, to go across the office. When was the last time you went across the table and started a conversation with somebody about the most important thing of your life, your relationship with Jesus. Because see, what we do is we lay back. Well, if somebody asks me, I'll tell them, well, that's a great way to have the hope of the world introduced to people. If you ask me, that's like finding out that, you know, the city of Chicago was gonna give all of us $50,000, but you had to go ask and nobody told you about it. It's like, well, if somebody would've told me, I would've been asked that. <laughs> And how many people said, if I would have known, if you would have told me, maybe I would have given my life to the Lord sooner. But the problem wasn't my lack of belief. My problem was my lack of presentation. You didn't give it to me. So how can I use it if it's never been given? But here's the reality. When we go to that person, when we cross that, that first hurdle, and I get it, we, we're nervous, we feel insecure, we feel inadequate, we feel like they might ask us this question that we don't know, which by the way, you don't have to have answers to all the questions in the world, all right? That's fine. As a matter of fact, I think people would respect it more if you admit it, that maybe you don't know, but you're willing to look into it and try to come back. So when we go to people, it's important, not only that we go to them and that we introduce everything else, but it's important to follow up with the second command. The first step obviously is to go, but the second thing is we are commanded to make. Well, what are we making? We're making disciples, okay? What does that mean? Making disciples means to call individuals to commit to Jesus as master and Lord. Call individuals to commit to Jesus as master and Lord. Here's my fear, church that we have outsourced 
the gospel presentation to people of authority. But you forgot that all authority has been given to Jesus and he's given it to you. And so what do we say? Well, I want my friend to get saved, so I'm going to bring them to church. What if they never come? What if they don't want to come? I want my loved one to get saved, so I'm going to ask Pastor Joey, to, what if I don't want to go? What if I'm not here? Like, we just outsource. Like We think that the role of presenting the gospel and walking someone through salvation is the role of the pastor or the role of the missionary. It's the role of the believer. Okay? The church is here to then help foster that and develop that. And we'll get to that in a moment. But you have all authority, all right, and are commissioned to actually go and tell someone about Jesus. And guess what? You can walk them through salvation right then and there. It's not overly complicated. It's not heart surgery, guys. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you are saved. So if you just ask, hey, do you believe what I've told you is true? Yes. Do you want to accept Jesus in your life? Yes. Can I pray for you? Yes. Boom. Jesus made it easy because he did the hard part. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't need everything else, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But please, let's not sidestep golden opportunities because we decided that the whole gospel presentation is solely left to one or two individuals. Listen, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. Listen, some of you, you gotta understand, like, you ever, uh, some of you are really addicted to like Amazon and you stay tracking that thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like, it's in New Jersey. It's like, oh, maybe it'll be here in an hour. No, it's, it's in New Jersey. But you just keep checking. You just keep looking with anticipations for the feet of that messenger. And there are people who are probably checking that spiritual app going, when are they going to get here? When are they going to reach my family? When are they going to tell me? Listen, we already know that you've been sent. The first point was Jesus told you to go. So it's not a matter of, did Jesus send me? Has Jesus called me? Yes, he's called you. If that's what you need to hear, yes, he's called you. He's called all of us to present the gospel. Listen, when I worked at Target and I was, I was a manager, I was an HR manager, no matter what position we hired you for, everybody was a cashier. We didn't like cashiering. I hated cashiering. Cashiering was because people are mean. Y'all act like we make the prices. I'm like, I just learned this button, bro. I don't know how to give you a refund. I'm sorry. Go talk to the desk that no one likes. Okay? But in the reality, in the kingdom of God, it's like a lot of times with soldiers, like, no, no, if you're on the battlefront, you better have a gun on you. <laughs> well, you know, I don't want really, you're either going to get killed or you're gonna, you are on the field. And so listen, you got to be willing to understand each and every one of us as believers has been called into the field. There's no such thing as that's not my job. That's all of our jobs to go and be able to present that. Now, you may not feel equipped. You know what I say to that? Equip yourself. But I'm a bad shot. Go to the range and get better. <laughs> like, it's life and death in some of these situations. Making disciples means this, telling people about Jesus Christ and the gospel message. That Jesus Christ came to this earth. There was sin that separated man and God. The penalty for sin is death. Man could never pay that penalty. So Jesus came in the flesh to pay that penalty on our behalf. Sin entered in through one man in Adam and salvation entered in through another man in Jesus. And Jesus paid the price. And all you got to do to cash in 
to accept the gift that's been given is say yes to Jesus. It's not a difficult, more complicated message. We can get into all the intricacies of it, but the basis of it is very clear. And if they believe, leading them through that process of salvation is what we're called to do. Again, the problem is we have outsourced this responsibility to pastors, to missionaries, to just simply bringing people to church. Evangelism is not bringing people to church, it's bringing Jesus to people. It's a very, very big difference, okay? It's like this idea, if somebody's bleeding on the street, we're not sitting there going, you should really go to the hospital. We call an ambulance. We triage, we do what we can until we can get them to a better place. And in the same way, there are people that are spiritually bleeding to death on the floors of our cities and our, and our areas and our homes. And we can't wait for them to say yes to coming to church. And we're grateful when they do. But I can't wait for that. I gotta tell you about them now. I gotta plant that seed now. I gotta water it now. I gotta keep working on that now. Well, pastor, I tried bringing my friend to church, but they refused. So bring the gospel to them. Listen, before I ever preached on this pulpit, I was thinking about this. I preached on top of a table when I was five years old in the nursery. I got in trouble for it because my mom thought I was goofing around. But I think Priscilla's here. She can attest to it. That's my girl. I was preaching to her. See, I've been preaching to you since I was five, lady. You better pay attention. <laughs> Remember when we went to Camp Beach Point? A little Christian camp? When I would come back, 11 years old, I would sit on my porch. 40 of my friends would gather around in the neighborhood. We were deep. We didn't have anything else to do, so we hung out on the steps. 40 of my friends would come out, and I would preach what I learned at camp. I didn't know it was preaching. I was just telling them what God had done in my life, and I was just explaining what I had learned. When I was 16, I was preaching on top of a table at McDonald's. I really like tables. It's for some reason. <laughs> Too big for tables now, so we're going to stick with the platform. But I remember at 16 years old, stealing my youth pastor's sermon notes from his pulpit, going to school the next day, getting on top of that table and preaching to everybody in McDonald's, walking them through salvation in that moment. And nobody told me to do it. The pastors were like, you should really do it. I have such a deep passion and love for God that I pray to God has never waned. It's only grown. But I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't ordained. I wasn't called, if you could say it like that in that moment. At least I didn't know that. Making disciples is not my job alone. It is the role of the church. And when I mean the church, I don't mean the institution. I don't mean the deacons that we've just elected and the leadership and the pastors. I mean you. You are the church. You are the hope of the world. You are the light of the world. But the individual people who make up this church are the ones that are going to be able to make a difference in this community. Everyone who says yes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ becomes a new creation. And you get the opportunity and the privilege to walk them through that. But here's the reality. No one's born knowing anything. Four weeks from now, God willing, within the next four weeks, um, my wife and I will have our third child. Which, by the way, if you didn't know, uh, we're having a son. I don't know if most of you knew that. I think most of you knew that, but... I mean, I would have been fine with three girls, but thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but here's the reality. My son doesn't know anything. He won't know anything. It's my responsibility as a parent to teach him. And listen, when you think about it, parents in this room, when you first became a parent, you didn't know how to be a parent. You freaked out. You called everybody. 
Yeah, I mean, no, no one's know, learned knowing anything. Even when you get out into the world for the first time. Remember when you first like lived out of your parents' uh, house and, and you're in freedom? I think everyone made the same call. Mommy, what's a good price for tomatoes? I don't know how much they're supposed to cost. Is this a, mommy, what's a good price? There's, it's a chicken. It said it's 79 cents a pound. Is that a good price? <laughs> no, mijo, that's too expensive. Next week it'll be on sale for 49 cents. Okay, mommy, thank you. Because <laughs> we don't know nothing, right? You just, you don't know what you don't know. So what do you need? You need somebody to teach you. And that's the third thing. We are commanded to go. We are commanded to make disciples. And then when we make those disciples, when we give birth, so to speak, to those new creations, we are commanded to teach them to raise them up. And again, in part, that's the role of, of the pastors and the ministers. You know, God has appointed us to teach. Yes, that's true. But I don't have to be the only teacher. You teach. Well, I don't know as much as you. That's fine. I don't know as much as other parents, but it's my kids. So I'm gonna teach. And guess what? I'm gonna learn so that I can teach. Here's the trick, guys. You only gotta stay one chapter ahead of them. <laughs> you can stay one chapter ahead in the curriculum. You'll be all right. Listen, God has called us to teach. But are we willing to take that opportunity to take someone under our wing? I was telling Heartsong, I'm so grateful that they're at one of our AG universities and that they're learning and they're growing. I never got to go to one of those. I didn't even know about them. So I didn't go to an AG college. I didn't go to a Bible school. If you're like, how are you even doing that? I had a youth pastor in our church named John Velser who took me under his wing for five years and said, I will teach you how to pastor. That's what I have. Those are my credentials. It's too late. You already voted me in. You can't just fire me now. Okay? But I praise God every day that I had men and women in my life who said, Joey, let me teach you. Let me show you how to do this. Let me teach you how to love people. Let me teach you how to be a good husband. Let me teach you how to be a father. Let me teach you how to be a steward. Let me teach you how to pastor people. Let me teach you how to counsel somebody. Let me teach you how to love somebody. I was not born knowing anything, and neither were you. Someone taught you. So we have a responsibility to teach someone else. Someone discipled you. Someone taught you how to read the Bible. Someone taught you how to pray. Someone taught you how to give. Someone taught you how to do the things that God has called you to do, how to play the worship instrument, how to lead somebody, how to usher, how to take care of babies, how to be a youth leader. Someone taught you. So what's our responsibility? Each one needs to teach one. And I teach you, you go teach the next one. After I was discipled, now my job is to disciple other people, to raise up people. Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Timothy was a young man that Paul came and discipled. He taught him how to be a pastor. And listen to what he tells him in his second letter to him in chapter 2, verse 2. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. You heard me teach you. Now you go teach somebody. And make sure that they go teach somebody. You know how the gospel has reached us? 2,000 years of people teaching other people how to be disciples. We are a chain and a long link of teachers. And I'm not going to be the link that breaks that chain. My job, my responsibility, should the Lord tarry, is to teach. Why do you think we put such an importance even on the next generation? Because if we don't teach them, the world's going to teach them. But it's not just that because there are people that we've already missed in that generation. Adults they have no idea, no understanding of who Jesus Christ is. They know there's a yearning, there's, there's an inward desire and understanding because we are all born with that God-shaped hole in our lives. So we know I need something, I'm missing something, and I want to say yes to that something. And once they say yes, that's amazing, that's the first step, but now what? It's like you got hired for a new job. Thank God, I got a new job. I have no idea what I'm doing at this job. 
I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't even know how to get to the bathroom. So what do they do? They put you with a training partner, somebody who's already been there. And they say, hey, this is your trainer. He's gonna teach you how to do this. You are trainers, whether you like it or not. You are not called to just feed, feed, feed and not give. We're not called to be overweight Christians who just consume but never exercise what God has given us. So here's my question for you, church. Who are you actively teaching right now? Who is a better, stronger Christian because you've taken them under your wing? It's a cycle. Each one teaches one. You raise somebody up, they raise somebody up. Listen, Luke chapter six, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. My children mimic everything they see in me. All the words that we say, all the things that we do, they mimic us, good and bad, they mimic us. But here's the reality. Teachers are the lid, right? They'll be like you, but they're not necessarily gonna surpass you because you're the one teaching them. The question is, have we capped the spiritual temperature of this room because the majority of people are unwilling to teach the new people? We had 50 people at our new believers luncheon. We have a packed out capacity in our growth track. And the day we started growth track this month, we had 20 people sign up for next month. So people are starting to come. But when they get here, if Pastor Joey is the only teacher in the room, we do a disservice to them. There's way too many people for just one teacher. That's why God has given us the authority to go and do it. But I don't know much. Well, teach them what you know, not what you don't. I don't care about what you don't know. Teach them what you do know. He's like, hey, listen, all I know is, uh, you know, be here on time and like try to serve. Great, awesome advice. Start with that. Amen. Just start with that and then you can get to the next level. Right? Listen, your kindergarten teacher didn't get you your graduate level degree. You had different teachers in life. That's fine. But your kindergarten teacher was fundamental to establishing the building blocks that would one day allow your graduate level teacher to teach you what you needed to know. So everybody matters in this process. And all of us are called to teach somebody at some process and in some place of their life. You are the spiritual lid of this church. If you're sitting here going, man, the church is kind of stale. I don't feel like I'm being fed. It's not because Pastor Joey's not feeding you. It's because we're not feeding each other. By the way, feed yourself as well, okay? Because only children and invalids can't feed themselves. That's a, that's a whole other sermon. Don't get me started. That's a whole other sermon. But here, teach with your life. Teach with your life, with what you do. You know how's the best way to teach somebody how to pray? Pray in front of them. You know what's the best way to teach somebody how to worship? Worship in front of them. As a matter of fact, Heart Song, if you can come up. I was, I was smiling to myself. I was sitting right there in the front, and I look over to my right, and Edwin, who's normally our bass player, he's, he's just worshiping like Edwin worships. I love watching Edwin worship, because what you see up there is even bigger when he's not with a bass in his hand. And Edwin's worshiping his heart out, but Edwin, I don't know if you noticed this, in front of you was Mark Santos' son, Malachi. Malachi's, what, seven, eight years old? Nine, sorry, he's short. <laughs> I look at Malachi, and Malachi's staring at Edwin. Just looking at him. Not awkwardly, just like, that's how you worship. Oh, that brought so much joy to my heart. We teach with our lives, people. That's why we want you to be expressive. That's why we want you to be open about what you're doing. That's why we want you to be honest. I mentioned a few weeks ago when I was in Israel that there was only one moment that made me weep. 
and it was when I was on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And it made me weep because I remember leaning on that boat and I'm looking to the right at Galilee where the Israelites lived. And then I'm looking to the other side of the lake where we're told the unbelievers were. And I was reminded of this moment in scripture where Jesus first called his disciples. Matthew chapter four, verse 18 through 22. says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. You know what I love about this scripture? It shows us that Jesus had to go to the shore of Galilee to meet these men. Jesus offered to make them disciples and to teach them how to go from fishermen to fishers of men and women. Jesus demonstrates the great commission long before he ever communicates it to them. The reason I wept as I stared at that same shore is because as I was looking at it, I got so emotional because I'm thinking this is where he called Peter. This is where he called John and James. This is where he gathered Andrew and his disciples. It's literally right in front of me, like I'm blown away. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I called them then and I'm calling them now. And I'm still calling you to go to the other side of the lake. I'm still calling my disciples to go. I'm still calling my disciples to make new disciples. I'm still calling my disciples to teach. Here's the only thing that's in the way is your willingness to be available to that call. Are you willing to say yes? Think about it, John, I felt bad when I, he looks at these two brothers who are with their dad working and he says, follow me. Were they available? No, they were in the middle of a job with their dad. They left everything because Jesus called them. I said, yes, Lord, I will go. He didn't convince them. He didn't do a three-page sermon. He said, come and follow me. Why did they do that? I believe because instantly in the presence of the Lord, they experience a love of Christ that surpasses anything you can ever imagine. Listen, Hudson Taylor, a very famous missionary in China, when he was the director of China Inland Missions, he often interviewed candidates for the mission field. On one occasion, he met with a group of applicants to determine their motivation for service. And why do you wish to go as foreign missionary, he asked one. I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was the reply. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. Others gave different answers. Then Hudson Taylor said, all of these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testing, trial, tribulations, and possible death. There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, namely, the love of Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand. And again, just so you can avoid distraction, just close your eyes for a moment. 
Typically in sermons like this, I ask you to think about loved ones that you know need Jesus. I ask you to think about people in your life that are gonna die and go to hell and, and I want you to really see them. And, and that's all true, but here's really what I want you to think about right now. I want you to think about what it means for those of you in this room that are believers to have a relationship with Jesus. How has it transformed your life? How has it changed you? How has it changed your family? What does it mean that you said yes one day to Jesus and then everything was different. How important is that relationship to Jesus? How much do you love him? How much do you love him? Do you love him enough to make yourself available to be used in whatever way he asks you to? If he says, I want you to talk to your coworker. Yes, Lord. Because even though I'm afraid to go and talk to them, my love for you is greater than my fear of that. Love is the greatest motivator because it drives out all fear, all anxiety, all trepidation. I want you to think about that. The worship team is going to lead us in a song and then we're going to pray and we're going to believe that God is going to do something miraculous in the lives of people all around you. But as they sing, just focus in. Think about your love for God. Think about, just go through even the list of things that God has done. What does that mean to you? And if it means enough, what do you want to do about it? How do you want to pay that forward? Go ahead, guys. Narrow as the road may seem, I'll follow where your spirit leads. Broken as my life may be, I will give you every having two calls this morning. The first is a call to salvation. If you're in this place and you've never given your heart to the Lord, 
then everything else that I've talked about is irrelevant. If you came here this morning and you know, Pastor, I've always known that something's missing. That I'm in need of salvation. And I listen, I'm not saying you got it all figured out right now. I'm not saying you got all your answer or your questions answered. But you understand that there's a need for something greater than myself. And maybe you've made that prayer before or you grew up in church. But the truth is you've, you've walked away from that. You've turned your back on God. And in this moment, the Lord has been speaking to you tonight. And he's calling you back without having to do anything. You don't have to make up for time lost. You don't have to grovel. The Lord is happily receiving you again. If you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I want to give my life to the Lord. Either I've never done it or the truth is I've turned my back and I want to have Jesus in my life again. We just talked about how easy it is. All you got to do is lift your hand because you believe and I will lead you in that prayer. So if you're here, sir, ma'am, young person, whoever you are, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, could you just lift up your hand real quick and I want to pray for you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you. I see you. Anyone else said, that's me, Pastor. Amen. Let's pray, church. Do me a favor, everybody. Would you repeat after me? Say, Jesus, I recognize that I'm in need of a Savior. And I ask you, God, to come into my life Forgive me of my sins. Make me fresh. Make me new. Help me, Lord, to learn how to love you the way you love me. I thank you, God, for this moment and everything that comes. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Listen to me. The second call, I don't need you to raise your hand because quite honestly, that doesn't matter. It's a call to the believer to go make disciples and teach. Who in your life have you gone to that doesn't know the Lord? Who in, you, in your life has God called you, specifically you? Because listen, I'm not at your job. I'm not at your school. You have been strategically placed for such a time as this in that area. And the reason I don't want you to raise your hand is because it's easy to raise your hand here and not do anything there. The test of whether or not you've heard God is whether or not you're obedient to what you heard. So my challenge to you, church, is simply to go, make disciples, teach them, and here's the beauty. We will help each other. We'll be there for each other. And I believe if we all do our job, the kingdom of God will grow. Not just our church, but the kingdom of God will grow. And we will see all the things we've been waiting for and praying for. Listen, you might be praying for a loved one that you might have tried to reach, and then one of your fellow believers is going to come alongside, and they're going to do what you've been trying 10 years to do. Who cares? As long as they meet God. I don't care if it's me or you, as long as they meet Jesus. And so that's where we corporately come together to do what God has called us to do, to be on mission. Amen?